We get to the place in 1 Samuel that the bulletin cover has been getting us ready for all series long. 1 Samuel chapter 17, we're going to begin reading in verse 3. It says, And the Philistines stood on the mountain on one side, and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side, and a valley between them. And there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits in a span. He had a helmet of bronze on his head. He was armored with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. And he had bronze armor on his legs and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron. And his shield-bearer went before him. He stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and to kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you will be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all of Israel heard the words of the Philistines, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. In the next couple of verses, we see David being sent to the battlefield basically as an errand boy. In verse 19, it says, Now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. And David rose early in the morning and left the sheep with the keeper and took provisions and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he went to the encampment as the host was going out to the battle line, shouting the war cry. And Israel and the Philistines drew up for battle, army against army. And David left the things in the charge of the keeper of the baggage and ran to the ranks and went and greeted his brothers. As he talked with them, behold, the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, came up out of the ranks of the Philistine and spoke the same words of before. And David heard him. And all the men of Israel, when they saw this man, they fled from him as they were much afraid. And the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. And the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. And David said to the men who stood by him, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him in the same way, so shall it be done to the man who kills him. In verse 31 it says, When the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul, and he sent for him. And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, You are not able to fight this Philistine, to fight with him, for you are but a youth, and he has been a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when he came upon a bear or a lion and took a lamb from the flock, he went after him and struck him and delivered it from the mouth. And if he rose against me, I caught him with, by the beard and struck him and killed him. And your servant has struck down both lions and bears. And this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them. For he has defied the armies of the living God. 
And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. In verse 42, it says, And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. And the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you have come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head, and I will give the dead bodies of the hosts of Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And that all of the assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear. For the battle lives the Lord, and he will give you into our hand. When the Philistine rose and came and drew near to David, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. David put his hand in the bag, took out a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sank deep into his forehead, and he fell face to the ground. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. And there was no sword in the hand of David. And the people of Israel came back from chasing the Philistines. They plundered the camp. David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem. But he put his armor in his tent. right. Giants, they're scary, aren't they? It's interesting when we talk about giants and as I look at this passage of scripture and that we're going to talk about these giants, one of the things that I don't have to do is really convince you that sometimes you have a giant in your life. I mean, that just kind of comes right at you, doesn't it? Uh, giants that, that function over us to intimidate us and to frighten us and to paralyze us. That's what's happening here on the page. There is a literal giant. He, he is described on the page here as being nearly nine feet tall. However tall he was, he was tall enough to scare the daylights out of an entire nation. Not only was there the size of this person, but, but he functioned so much off of intimidation. He knew how to just find that weak spot inside of them. As he called across the, the way, and he says, I'm looking for someone who is my equal who will come and fight me. And the nation of Israel looked at each other day after day after day and became humiliated over the fact that nobody would stand and fight with them. In fact, he stood in front of them for 40 days and called out and said, will anybody come and fight with me? 40 days is a long time. Think back to what you've done in the last 40 days. But every single day, in fact, the passage tells us that they marched into battle every single day singing the war chants. 
And then Goliath would stand out and say, I dare someone to come and fight me. Do you have anyone that will come and fight me? And they look across the lines every single day and nobody does. And they run away in fear. For 40 days. They marched in singing war chants. We're going to win today. And for 40 days, they run away and hide in fear. Goliath was huge. Goliath was better resourced. You see the list of all of the armor that he has. We see that sometimes there were points in history where the Philistines controlled the making of bronze and the making of metals. And they made sure that no one in Israel could do that. And so when he has all of these weaponry, nobody comes close to this. And he pushes his advantage as being the giant. And nobody will come up against him. Now, there's a little side note here that if, if Goliath is the largest man in all of the Philistines, and he wants to fight the largest man in all of Israel, do you remember who that was? Remember, Saul gets on the newspaper because he is head and shoulders above everybody else. And for whatever reason... Saul says, pass, day after day after day. And the nation is demoralized as they cannot see past this giant that stands in front of them. And then comes David. The thing that I want to think about this morning is why does David have success when no one else has success? Why is it that David seems to be able to easily defeat this giant when no one else seems to be able to defeat the giant? Why is it that we seem to be completely paralyzed, overwhelmed, and just gripped by fear over some of the giants in our life, and yet it seems other people seem to just be constantly slaying giants? What is the difference between a giant slaying life And a life that runs in fear from the giants that they face all the time. Why does David succeed when everyone else failed? Let's think about that for a few minutes. But one of the things I think that is different for David is that David sees his circumstances with eyes of faith. David sees his circumstances with eyes of faith. Now, as I say this, David sees his circumstances through the eyes of faith. That's kind of just a church phrase there, seeing things with the eyes of faith. And you're like, that sounds good. But what on earth does it mean to see things with the eyes of faith? Let me just simply say, seeing things with the eyes of faith is seeing things the same way God sees them. Seeing things the same way that God sees them. That's one of the things that's been unfolding in this entire book is that we have to learn how to see things like God sees them. In fact, just last week we talked about how Samuel went to, uh, to Jesse's family to anoint the next king and he looks at all of these great looking sons and Samuel says, well, this must be the one. And God says, don't look at the outside Look at the inside. And remember, he goes through all of the sons that are there. And God has said, no, not to each one. And and Samuel has to say to Jesse, well, there are any more. 
sons. And they're like, well, there's the, the one that we don't really count. There's the one that we didn't really think was worth inviting to the day. Samuel says, we're not sitting down until he gets here. And the word is stop looking at the outside, but look at the inside. Because there are some things that look really small, but are strong and powerful and have more power than you imagine. Don't overlook some small things that have great power and potential. That is an issue that continues throughout this uh, chapter. Uh, In fact, inside of this chapter, when David shows up, one of the sections that we didn't read, his oldest brother looks at him and said, why did you come? What are you here for? You don't have anything that you can bring to the table. In fact, he says, you have come here with an evil heart. You're just here to watch us lose. David is being overlooked. David steps forward to Saul and says, I'll go fight the giant. And Saul looks at him and says, you? You're a kid. You you, you can't fight that giant. When they drafted all the men for battle, David didn't get drafted in that. And then even, even when David stands up face to face across the way against Goliath, Goliath is mad. He is offended. He said, I've been waiting here 40 days for you to send someone worthy for me to fight. And you send this kid, this pile of sticks. He's mad. Continues to overlook what is small when God says, don't overlook that. But you know, when we see things with the eyes of faith, not only do we see more value in the things that we may have overlooked. But seeing with eyes of faith means that we're not, in fright, we're not as frightened by some of the things that overwhelm us. You see, it's not just seeing value in the small, but it's also understanding that those things that look so large, those things that look so enormous, aren't nearly as overwhelming as you think. And so this nine-foot giant standing across the way looked impossible to defeat. It looked like there was no way anyone could defeat him. And yet David, when he comes to the scene, David says, he calls Goliath this uncircumcised Philistine. Now, why does he emphasize this idea of this uncircumcised Philistine? Here's what it means, is that the sign of circumcision was a symbol that these were the people of God. That's the sign that God gave them. They belong to God. They are God's people. See this circle right here? These are God's people. God is with them. And David looks across the way. He says, that's not someone that God is with. That giant isn't inside of the circle of the people that God is with. He says, that giant may be large. That giant may be large, but can I reintroduce you to our God? You think Goliath is big? Can I remind you about our God? So David says, don't call me small and don't call him big. Because our God is larger and bigger and more powerful than anything that is on this battlefield on this day. 
You see, when we live inside of faith, when we live with God's perspective, we begin to see the world differently because we have eyes of faith. There's going to come a time when you begin to see some things that used to frighten you that you realize that's not nearly as scary as it used to be. That's not nearly as insignificant as it used to be. God can use that. God is larger than God. God is over that. Some of you have been walking through some hard things. And you are learning that some of the things that looked small are actually strong and powerful. And you've been walking through some things that are big and scary and you've realized that God is bigger than all of those things. When we walk inside of faith, we begin to see the world differently. You know, this is one of the reasons why the rhythms of faith matter so much. This is one of the reasons why being here this morning, being in worship, spending your time in the week in prayer, reading the Word of God, being part of a small group, that is part of the reason why this stuff matters because it's when we're in this rhythm of worship and Bible study and prayer and time in the Word, that's how we begin to have eyes of faith. And if you want to be ready for the crisis, if you want to be ready when those giants show up in your life, it matters that you have been developing the eyesight of faith because you have been on a regular basis in worship, in Bible study, with the people of God, an active part of worship, having a prayer life. Because that changes that vision. You see, sometimes a giant comes upon our life. And our viewpoint and our perspective still is still too much of the perspective of our flesh. And that's when we get intimidated. And that's when we run away. And that's when we get paralyzed. But if we will be developing a completely different way in which to see the world, then we will see it like David did. You call that a problem? Have you seen my God? You call that a crisis? Have you seen my God? Eyes of faith change the way we see things. I would also tell you that David understood the deeper purpose. David understood that there was a deeper purpose in place. Now listen, this was war. This was a battle. They were lined up ready to try to kill each other. That's pretty significant. But David understood that there was more on the line just than this battle. That what was in place here was much, much deeper. Now, again, we don't know exactly how old David is. Remember, he came in seventh in a seven-person race. There, there are seven older brothers. What's interesting is that when they accomplished their draft for all the soldiers to come and fight in this battle, only David's three oldest brothers are drafted and are part of the battle. That kind of tells me that David is really, really quite young. He is still not considered to be fighting age at this moment. He's a kid. Everyone walks out, you're a kid. But it's really interesting. David walks up and he sees what's going on. He sees the circumstances and uh, he begins to ask questions. He says, um, so if I kill the giant, what does that pay? Uh, what kind of reward is on the line here if I kill the giant? Man, I, 
That's a, that's a confident kid, isn't it? Uh, to walk in and say, hey, if I go do what uh, no one else has been able to do, uh, what kind of a paycheck are we talking about here? Now, it's interesting that David asks that question because I think it talks about his confidence and his security and his bravery. But I want you to see the whole rest of David's conversation. The whole rest of David's conversation is that he understands that there is a much larger purpose in place than just the paycheck or even this battle. Because what we have here is what we have a battle of God's. We, we have a battle of God's. When, when Goliath comes up against David, he curses David in the name of his gods. And this battle that was about to take place was a visible representation in their minds of whose God is bigger. And every time that Goliath stands across the people and he defies and embarrasses and humiliates the nation of Israel. David says he's, he's not just, he is not just humiliating us. He is dragging down the name of God. How can this uncircumcised Philistine defy the armies of the living God? Wait a minute, this, this is bigger. This is not just who wins today. This is, wait a minute, the name of the living God is at stake here. And that's why David moves the way that he moves. You see, I believe that David, I believe that David takes a look at the circumstances and he identifies what the will and the purpose of God is. And he moves his life to line up with what the will and the purpose of God is. You see, this isn't just about winning a battle. This is finding out where is God and what is God's purpose? What does God want to do in this place? And he moves his life there. And there's a parallel to this. In several passages of Scripture in the New Testament, the New Testament principles of prayer. There's a couple of verses I want to throw up here on the screen. Uh, the, first one, uh, the first one says, Whatever you ask in my name... This I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Uh, the second passage here says, And this is the confidence that we have toward Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of Him. Now, without spending a lot of time this morning talking about a theology of prayer... The principle that is present in 1 Samuel chapter 17 and the principle that is present in these verses on prayer says that if you want to find success, you want to find victory, you find out what the will of God is. And when you pray for the will of God, when you pray for His agenda, His will, His purpose, that's when you see victory. And in your life, facing a giant, facing a crisis, facing whatever it is that you're facing, the number one strategy to do is anchor yourself to something deeper than just your surface needs. Say, so what is it that God wants to do in this place? And move your life to what's deep. Now, let's think about that just for a moment to try to give that a little bit more concrete application. How do we move our lives to the holiness of God? Then we find out what it takes to be obedient. 
How do we move our lives to the character of God? Then we move to protect those who are vulnerable and the weakest and the least on the earth. How do we move to make sure that we respond to the glory of God? Then we move our lives to worship. How do we respond to the mission of God? Then we make sure that we are active in the role of reaching people. You see, sometimes we've been trying to solve the wrong problems. We've been trying to solve my needs, my preferences, my stuff. When really the things that animate us and empower us and give us the most strength and confidence and courage inside of our lives is that when we connect ourselves to the things that are deeper. So when you find yourself facing an overwhelming circumstance. Sometimes what happens is that we move ourselves to be so inward in that moment that the calling on our life is to take a time out and say, okay, how can God be glorified in this circumstance? How can I respond to his holiness, to his character, to his glory, to to his mission? And when we line up those things, then we really have a purpose for the fight that we have. And we know that God will prevail in those places. Move our lives to that which is of greatest purpose in our life. I also think David succeeded. I think David succeeded because he was encouraged by what God had already done. He was encouraged by what God had already done. Saul tries to put that armor on side of, on David and David looks at this stuff and, and he basically says, Listen, I don't have time to learn how to use this stuff. I've not tested these things. I don't even know how to fight this way. Saul says, you have no chance. But David says, listen, let me tell you a little bit about my life. He says, I've been a shepherd taking care of the sheep and you may not think that's a big deal. But every once in a while, a bear or a lion will come and try to take those sheep away. And David says, not on my watch. And he says, I've chased that bear and I've chased that lion. And if that bear and that lion won't let go of that sheep, he says, I grab it by the beard beard, and I have killed it with my bare hands. And he talks about, I've had victory over the bears and I've had victory over the lions and I will have victory over this Philistine. You see, When he deals with the crisis that's in front of him, he is encouraged by the crisis that God has already prevailed over his life. Now, I would tell you that some of the things that you're going through right now, God is using as a teaching point so that you will be stronger at the next crisis point that you're facing down the road. Because our memory of the things that God has already accomplished in our life strengthens us for what's next. He had a memory over where God has already acted. Now, you may say that's fine and that's good, but I don't have any of those memories. To be honest with you, I'm kind of new with this faith or or I'm kind of shallow with this faith and and I don't have any of those memories. I I don't have any of those stories of my own. I've never defeated the bear. I've never defeated the lion. So the giant scares the daylights out of me. Okay, that's fair. Here's what happens. 
until you have a story of your own. He gives you some stories that you can take as your own. And what he wants you to know is that he's been a giant slaying God for a long time. And he has given victory on the battlefield time and time again. He has given victory inside of the jail cell where Paul says, listen, I've learned to have comfort and I've learned to have difficulty, but I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He, he has given victory when it's been instantaneous. He has given victory when it has sometimes taken decades to survive. I think about some of the people that Jesus healed in the New Testament. The man who had been beside the, the waters that had been there almost 40 years. I think about the, the woman who had the hemorrhage that had been suffering for, for decades. And yet, God shows up and eventually they are healed. I think about the widow of Zarephath who is living in, who is living in a famine and she has been watching all of her food supplies be depleted and just go down to nothing until she has a final meal. This is it. And she gathers the ingredients that she needs for that final meal. And she announced, the, the prophet Elijah says, hey, would you, would you fix me some dinner? And the woman said, I cannot do this because this is the final meal. My son and I are going to eat this and then we're going to die. Elijah says, make the meal. Serve me up a slice. And the meal repeats and repeats and repeats and repeats until the famine is over. God has victory on the battlefield. He has victory in the jail cell. He has victory that's instantaneous. He has victory that comes after decades. He has victory that comes just in time. And he has a victory that he's waiting for your life. Because he is a giant slaying God. I want you to know that there's not a single part of life that God is ever overwhelmed or intimidated by. There's never anything that's too large. I want to take just a quick parenthesis and say that applies to the life of our church as well. Sometimes when we think about the calling and what I believe is next for the life of our church, sometimes we can look at that and say, oh, that's too big. Well, we'll never be able to do that. Man, have you met our God before? If he gives us that calling, if he gives us that assignment, oh man, impossible is just a mispronounced word with him. All things are possible with him. I want you to know that even as you may not have your own story, I want you to adopt the stories here and then you'll have your story. So what's the application? What's the, what's the what now in our passage this morning? One of the things that I want you to know is that you have everything that you need. God used the, sort, the resources, the tools, the experience that David had where he was. God says, I can take what you have and I can take you to victory. I want you to know that what you have, when God takes hold of those things, 
is more than enough for whatever crisis, whatever giant, whatever hardship you are facing in this day. I also wanted you to know that the greatest hardship that you and I will ever face is the hardship of sin and death. You see, sometimes we're like, well, I'm having a hard time with this or a hard time with this. Well, listen, that overlooks the greatest crisis that we have. Sin that separates us from God. Death that snuffs out our life. And yet I want you to know that Jesus has already conquered all of those things. That he has conquered sin. He has conquered death. And all you have to do is to receive it. You have everything that you need to have that victory. She's waiting for me.